Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Welcome back, everybody, to the final installment of our Pillar 2 pregame show. I'm your host, Nick Tricarci, and thank you for listening. And actually, I'm hoping this isn't the final installment because we want to do a special mailbag episode where we answer your questions on the air, but we need to hear from you. So please don't be shy. Submit us your questions. It can be anything, specific Pillar 2 issues you're dealing with, general questions about how things work, things your auditor's telling you. We just want you to reach out. It's super easy. Go on the website where you found the podcast. There's a link to a form you can fill out. Whole process is super quick. So on today's episode, what we're going to do to close things out is talk about the long-term implications of Pillar 2. You know, as you can imagine, these rules are going to continue to evolve over the next two, three, five years and beyond, which is going to create a ton of opportunities for companies to revisit the way they're structured, how their uh, IT systems work, what processes they have in place, and really, you know, take a fresh look at whether there's an opportunity to transform their tax and finance organizations. And it's also going to create a ton of challenges as we work through changing rules and resources and data challenges. So we're going to talk about all of that today and how you can start thinking about those long-term impacts as you implement Pillar 2 next year to set yourself up for long-term sustainable success. And on this series, one of the things that we have been preaching every single episode is how important it is to have tax and accounting at the table working shoulder to shoulder to get this done, not just to get it done on time, but to get it done correctly. And on this podcast, we practice what we preach. So today, to close things out, we have two guests with us, one from accounting, one from tax, both sitting at the table. We're going to work shoulder to shoulder to tell you about these long-term implications that you should be focused on. So let me introduce our guests. First, from the accounting side, we have Tony Brzezinski. He is a partner in our accounting advisory services and is our Pillar 2 Implementation Service Line Leader. So, Tony, very lucky to have you today. Thanks for being on. It's good to see you. Thank you, Nick. And then from the tax side, we have James Sanderson. He's a partner in our Miami office and is somebody who's been doing a ton of Pillar 2 implementation projects with our clients flying all over the country. So, James, thanks for being on today. Uh, it's great to see you. Thanks, Nick. And super excited to dive in and talk about some of the long-term thinking. Yeah, I mean, you guys are the perfect guys to have on to close this out because, you know, like I said, you've been working with companies in the trenches. And so just bringing that real world perspective and insights as to what our companies focused on right now, what are they struggling with and what opportunities are we helping them? I think our listeners are going to find extremely valuable. So guys, on this podcast, we like to do things a bit differently. You know, we try to keep it entertaining and light and the final episode is certainly going to be no exception. So what I was thinking we could do to have this conversation is basically do it in a draft style format. So we'll do a two round draft. And when it's your pick, I'm going to ask you to select, you know, what do you believe is the most important long-term pillar two implication our listeners should be focused on now? So before the episode, we had a coin toss to determine who got the first pick and Tony, you won that. So if you guys are good, let's officially open the 2023 pillar two draft and Tony, with the number one pick, what are you selecting as the most important long-term Pillar 2 impact that our listeners should be focused on right now? Thank you, Nick. So with the number one pick that our listeners should be focused on right now, I'm going to go with the Globe Information Return. Wow. 
this is a shock. We've got the accounting guy picking a tax form as the number one pick. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how integrated the tax and accounting functions are, I don't know what does. So, all right, go ahead, Tony. Why'd you pick that? The reason I picked that is because ultimately, this is what all of your efforts are going to culminate in. Either because in the short term, you don't qualify for safe harbors, which I expect is probably going to come up today or you've heard about. Or after the safe harbor period runs out, Ultimately, everyone in the scope is going to need to work toward an ability to file a globe information return. And so when I think of long-term planning, I think about your ability to actually generate that return. And I want to keep a couple of things in mind to put this in perspective. First is that you're going to need to be able to file that return for each legal entity or jurisdiction that you operate in. And so it's not one, but likely many. And separately, a single globe return is voluminous at 20 pages and necessitating up to 480 unique data points. And again, that's by legal entity or jurisdiction. So when you do the math and you multiply those 20 pages and 480 data points out times the number of jurisdictions or legal entities, what you arrive at is a tremendous new compliance requirement. And I just want to put that in perspective a little bit further. So let me talk about the general elements that go into the globe return. First is the overall calculation is meant to arrive at a globe effective tax rate, which consists of covered taxes in the numerator and globe income in the denominator. And again, done for each legal entity or jurisdiction. And both of those inputs like you had said at the beginning, Nick, this is a cross-functional effort, and both of those inputs are a combination of book and tax numbers. Considering this is a new tax regulation, there's a tremendous amount of dependency on book accounting numbers or numbers that just traditionally sit outside of tax. And a big example of that's the denominator, globe income, which starts with financial accounting, net income or loss, and may be required under local gap for the subsidiary may be required under parent company gap or there's scenarios where you'd have to do that calculation under both and because you're producing that globe return at the legal entity or jurisdictional level it puts a lot of pressure on the accounting for intercompany transactions the intercompany transactions are of course eliminated at the consolidated level but for pillar two when you're looking at this at separate legal entity or jurisdictional level you now have to look at intercompanies at that level and have the ability to eliminate transactions within a jurisdiction but not outside the jurisdiction which is likely different from what you or other companies have done in the past another example topside adjustments where you know if this gets a lot of attention if you read publications as i do and james does and nick does you'll see topside adjustments made at the corporate level which are very common now are going to have to be cascaded or allocated down to the legal entity level. And then beyond that, there's a series of other adjustments that are both book and tax centric to arrive at the inputs. And so it's sort of that ultimate target of the globe information return that I suggest people have in mind today and start to look at what are the requirements for that and what do I need to have the ability to put that together? So that's my rationale for the number one pick, Nick. Makes sense. I mean, we talked about the Globe ETR on episode three and a lot of those adjustments you brought up and how challenging it was going to be to calculate. We didn't really get into the compliance piece, but, you know, like you said, that's what this is all going to culminate into and what companies are going to need to do once those safe harbors expire. So appreciate that, Tony. All right, James, I imagine that was pretty high on your big board before we got started. So with the Globe information return off the table, what are you choosing with the number two pick? 
I'm super excited. My number one pre-draft pick was still on the board. So to me, the number one pick has fallen to me. And that one is the focus on safe harbors. I do think about companies' journey as it relates to Pillar 2 in assessing not only the potential additional tax that they may have to pay because of these crazy Pillar 2 world rule and the rules associated with that, but also what Tony just talked about. There is a very large compliance lift that, to be honest with you, some companies have kind of classified as, is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Meaning this compliance lift, in addition to what we saw from U.S. tax reform for U.S. multinationals, is just becoming almost too much to bear. And so I think about the safe harbors, and I know think in prior podcasts, you guys went through you know, some of the mechanics of those roles and all the different safe harbors. So, you know, I, I won't go into how the rules work, but really what should companies do as it relates to these rules? And really the big safe harbor that I like to focus on, at least initially, is the transitional C by C safe harbor. It really gives companies an opportunity to either one or maybe as long as three years to pause pillar two. Now, what that really means is you don't have any top-up tax for each jurisdiction that could meet this safe harbor rule. And it's up to three years. Now, U.S. multinationals may say, well, I'm in a lot of jurisdictions that are probably have an ETR of 15%. So maybe helping save or pause top-up tax is not a huge benefit. But really, to me, the benefit is pausing what Tony just talked about, which is the big compliance lift, the global information return. But then, two, buying yourself time. I think there's a theme here that Frankly, I think the OECD gave taxpayers an opportunity to use these safe harbors to really get an opportunity to assess the rules. And I know you've talked about the other podcasts. Three or four jurisdictions have enacted these rules. We're waiting for another 140, 145, right? I mean, we have jurisdictions that are enacting corporate income tax rules for the first time in their history. There is a lot of detail to work through. OECD is sending out additional guidance and a lot of important issues. Safe harbors give you an opportunity to really pause, take a breath, assess, and then also get ready for that future global information return. I think companies have to focus on safe harbor right now. And that's why I'm super excited. I got that pick at number two. Yeah, I mean, safe harbors, that was on episode two and, and one I think we got a lot of interest in because of what you just described. And we had teed it up almost as a short term thing, right? Like, hey, Pillar 2 is coming next quarter. This is a way to pause it. But I like where you're going, that it's also a long-term thing because it can buy you three years and you really got to make sure you're going to qualify for that transitional C by C every single year. So don't just focus on 24. You got to be long-term with that. All right, James, third pick. I imagine you're going to tell us what to do with all that time you just bought. So let let me ask you, what are you choosing with the third pick in the Pillar 2 draft? Nick, thank you. For me, as an international tax planner, I got to go with planning opportunities. Not only do I want to think about global information return and how to get ready for it, but the planning opportunities. I talked about allowing companies to assess their structure and companies have to look across their structure to understand how impactful are these rules or how impactful will these rules be. I think about the impact of U.S. tax reform back in 2017 and 2018. Companies had to do a almost a retrofitting of structures that were historically put in place prior to those U.S. tax reforms and change potentially what historically had worked to to something new that worked in the new world. I think Pillar 2 could almost be more impactful than the U.S. tax reform, even for U.S. multinationals. And so 
when I talked about buying time with safe harbors, some of that time I'm going to use to go off and really do an assessment of my existing structures that I have in place. We could analyze value chain management and how companies are approaching it or historically approached it and make sure that you are creating the tax efficiencies in that structure or existing structure that you thought you were now with a pillar two lens. And again, you know, I mentioned there's a lot of jurisdictions that still need to implement these rules. So we have to keep a watchful eye on all the jurisdictions and continually reanalyze the structures as we move forward. Another opportunity with this time is what we always like to call legal entity rationalization. Tony and I are working on a number of transactions together. And what we see is companies really take an opportunity to maybe doing some planning assessment, talking about creating tax efficiency in their existing structure, but they're also taking an opportunity to do some legal entities rationalization, taking costs out of the system and potentially even taking jurisdictions out of the system. Tony talked about a global information return. Remember, that's on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis. If you can eliminate some constituent entities in your structure and also eliminate some jurisdictions in your structure, you alleviate some of that pain, some of that long-term pain that everyone's going to be challenged by, no matter whether you meet safe harbors or not. So I think the time you get from safe harbors, really spend some time thinking through your structure and making sure that structure still delivers what you expect it to deliver when you put it in place. So my number two pick and number three pick overall, planning opportunities. I mean, this is perfect. It's bringing our whole series full circle because on episode one, we talked with Marcus about, you know, one of the things he said was 15 is the new zero, right? Like there's no such thing anymore as a zero tax country. And so a lot of companies have set up their structures to take advantage of that current system. Now it's changing. And what you just described is perfect, right? Let's rethink that. And where's the most efficient way to structure our organization and operations, given how this new rule is going to impact companies' cash tax. And I like that we, we started with Tony with a huge challenge companies are going to have. James, you went with two opportunities that that creates. Let's see if we keep that trend going. Tony, with the fourth pick and the final pick in the 2023 Pillar 2 draft, what are you selecting with your pick? Thank you, Nick. So I love everything that James had said, and I'm going to probably refer back to it a couple of times because I think it's important for my fourth and final pick, which is finance transformation opportunities. And so basically what it's coming down to for me is how are we going to get this done? So thinking about where I started from on the globe information return and what James talked about around safe harbors and tax planning, all of these things require separate information and or reporting and likely large amounts of data. On top of that, I think you need to consider whether to what extent upstream reporting or data requirements are based on separate legal entity financial statements which may not have historically been produced or if produced not at the level of precision necessary for pillar two or maybe not surrounded by internal controls and so in our working with our clients auditors and audit teams they're very focused on what types of internal controls are surrounding these data inputs, which ultimately have an impact on the financial statements and disclosures. So lots of dependency on separate entity financial information, some of which may not have been captured historically. And then if captured, may have been produced manually or not in a timely manner. 
And so kind of going back to something that James said, which really resonated with me, which is this may be the straw that broke the camel's back to drive some change and some reevaluation, not only of your internal legal structure, but also your end-to-end accounting and reporting. So pillar two is serving as a catalyst for a lot of companies to improve or transform elements in their finance function, meaning automating some processes that were historically manual or maybe even cleaning up bookkeeping, which you know possibly could have benefited from some cleanup historically. Well, now you have a much bigger reason to do that. I want to close with just one thought for the audience out there. If you've already got a finance transformation underway or a system implementation underway, I would strongly suggest that you go back and consider pillar two, work across with tax, with the controllership, with legal, to build in the requirements for pillar two so that you don't have to go back and do some rework for your finance transformation or your system implementation later on. That's what I'm taking for the fourth and final pick, which is really meant to facilitate. How are we going to do all of this? That was number one on my big board before we got started. I'm just, you know, coming from the accounting world and then hearing Tony, you say 480 data points, you know, every jurisdiction, I'm talking tens of thousands for companies to try to do that manually is just insane to me. Right. So there's got to be some aspect of automation, transformation, streamlining processes and systems. So I think that's the perfect way to end the draft and to close out our podcast series. So James, Tony, thank you so much for being with us and sharing those insights. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We've really enjoyed having you here. And special thanks to Aaron Holswade for all the work behind the scenes to make this thing happen. So Aaron, thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we are social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMG FRV.